Cars are a necessary evil. My father always used to be like, as long as it gets you from point A to point B. Yeah. And I've kind of adopted that, you know, the car, you know, I got a forerunner, right? And it has a, like an actual key that you put in the ignition, yeah. turn it. I had one of those. And there's no like, there's no like you're, lo- you're, you're weaving out of the lane. There's none of that shit. Uh, it's just, it's an anal- the most analog car you can get. And but, I love it. So this car, and, and I'm embarrassed even... To, to declare the name of the brand of this car. So I'm just going to leave tell that. Them. I don't want, it's embarrassed. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Watch, you should celebrate your success. Ugh, I don't want it. <laughs> and um, I was happy with my Honda Civic 2012. And in any case, so now I have them. Sorry, I, I have a new car. And it, it spent like seven hours yesterday at this dealership. <laughs> Ugh. Well, now you have a nice ride. Uh, it's embarrassing. It's you know what I like about it. It's blue. Yeah, that's good. And I got the interior that I wanted. Ah, I, I was having a, a slight argument with Christine about it. She wanted a black interior. I like the one. So with, hot in the summertime. I saw it's blue with a with a beige interior. Yeah, it's beige like is a classic khakis interior. and a blue shirt. Yes, it's perfect. It's, it's exactly. It's a business casual yes, car. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody gets it. <laughs> I'm totally down with that. Somebody gets it. Yeah. Mm. So um, I got. I got. What do you call a broke Santa Claus? Uh, what Saint Nicholas? <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> mm. uh, <laughs> sorry. What do you get if you cross a snowman and a dog? Uh, what frostbite? <laughs> what do you call a kid who doesn't believe in Santa? What? Ben was like, I asked Ben this morning, he's like, a Jew? Jewish guys? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no. No. A rebel without a clause. Oh. <laughs> it's a lawyer joke somehow, too. Uh, yeah. Mm. Why was the snowman looking through the bin of carrots? Why? He was picking his nose. Uh. Okay. That's all I got. Ho, ho, ho. Ho. Merry <laughs> Christmas. Not yet. Don't don't be doing that to me. It's not time yet. I still like ten more shopping days till Christmas, and I need every single one of them. I need a f- uh, yeah, me too. In theory, my last day of work for the year is tomorrow. That's amazing. In practice, I've already got all this shit yeah lined up for next week. You've got uh, that I have to participate in. One job to the next, and if the kids don't wake up, like if the kids have school, I still have to get up at the same time. Yeah, so there's no fucking break. It's not like it's not you, a break. Yeah. You know, you're and I'm just home to do everything. Yeah. Now you, you have know. time to do all of your chores. Right. You know what I did yesterday for two hours? I cleaned Ben's room. That's nice. Two hours. Yeah. I dusted, nice. I vacuumed, I, I organized. It'll let, how long will it last, do you think? Two days. You give it two days? <laughs> two days. I, I'm sorry. I interrupted as you're 
doing the thing. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Ned X. No, I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you today we on do. RMA. We're headed into the holiday season. The snow is starting to trickle down. People are getting is that what that is? angry. That's a little bit of snow. It felt, feels more like urine. It's not urine or volcano ash. Uh-huh. And Santa Claus is coming to town. That's Today, ter- terrifying. <laughs> and he knows when you're sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all this and more. <laughs> Today, on a very, very, very special edition of RMA. And good morning to you, sir. How you doing? And good morning to all of the monsters. Out there, <laughs> near and far, in Munsterland. You don't have your uh, your, your no. visual aids. Today. I'm completely <laughs> off of script this morning, guys. <laughs> did you Did you even watch the documentary we're going to talk about? I did not, and this was, <laughs> <laughs> I had fully planned on watching it. But like Mike Tyson said, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> and you got punched in the face by your car dealer yesterday. Uh, it was one thing after six others, um, but. Here's how I'm spinning it to make myself feel better. Okay. I'm going to to take to play the part of a monster out there who hasn't watched this documentary. <laughs> oh, that's convenient. Yes, yeah, so they can listen along and learn along with me as as I learn all about the documentary called Oh, this is going to be a disaster. It's called No No, a documentary. No No. It's about the life and career of Doc Ellis. Okay. Who's a professional oh. baseball player, if you d- didn't know. Known for his outstanding talent and equally outstanding personality. Uh, it's particularly famous, this film, for its focus on one of the more unusual moments in baseball history. Uh, in 1970, Doc Ellis pitched a no-hitter for the Pirates right. against the Padres while he was tripping his balls off <laughs> on LSD. I did hear about that. That's right. I so can't wait to hear about this one. Yes. Along with everyone in the yeah, crowd. Yeah, I think you and I were both sort of teetering on the edge of skipping this I week. Know. I'm sorry. And um, I just came across that somewhere, and I was like, let's do that. And you were like, oh, let's do that, and now we're doing it, and <laughs> even we're doing though we're not it. really doing it. Um, hey, there was some news I just wanted to bring up and see if, if you had heard this, too. Okay. Just in passing, I'm listening to the radio, and there was like a tease about, for a news story that I didn't end up hearing, that they're putting something, they're talking about some kind of drunk detector in cars that's going to be like mandatory. Excellent. Right. So, But I didn't find a story, and I don't have a link or anything. I just wondered if you had heard that. Um, I had heard about a year ago, maybe a little less, uh, that idea was floating around in the ether that they were considering putting these interlock devices on cars. Uh, maybe they perfected the technology to the point where it's you know relatively simple to put them in. Uh, I can imagine the pushback from the auto industry is going to be f- huge. Um, yeah, I don't know what that story was. I wish I had a drunk and driving. Yeah. And for casual Casual drunks everywhere who think mm. there's nothing wrong with having three beers and then driving home, like it's gonna, they're gonna be up in arms. Yeah, yeah, and it and it sounded like just what we were talking about, where like they're going to, or they're talking about, or maybe there's legislation or something where they'll have something in a car that it's like it'll be like required, yeah. and somehow. I mean, in this new car I got, they did, you know, they you got, have one installed as an option. <laughs> well, they sort of have it already. Um, and it was funny the way the guy brought it up because he's explaining the car to me and what does what. And he goes in here, um, right ahead, it can tell 
if your eyes begin to drift. Oh, yeah. You know, unc- right. like, so the car is kind of like, there's probably going to be a drunk guy in this car at some point. Let's see what we can do or a tired person. And uh, Well, if it has adaptive cruise control, you barely need to touch the steering wheel. Yeah. You can just, and it jerks yeah. the car back. I'm yeah. bar- I thought I was driving straight, you know. Uh, no. <laughs> Apparently car, not. It was jerking the wheel around. Yeah, it'll it'll force you back into lane. And if you have the adaptive cruise control on, you can actually take your hands off the wheel. But in Aaron's car, it's uh, after like 20 seconds, it's, it says, put hands back on wheel. It yells at you. <laughs> Please and, wake uh, up and put hands back on. But the cruise control allows you to set the distance to keep from the cars around it, and it'll you put in the the speed you want to go, and it'll keep you God. in the lane. It's that's terrifying. it's a little too much for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little intimidated by all of the um, the features. Um, speaking of an interlock device in yes. the car, um, when, you know, I know when you better, know better, you, you do, do better. better. I actually printed this out today. Amazing. Yeah, I don't so have you to have hunt all of your it. shit together. But sometimes doing better depends on what tools are available to you. Mm. As two men in recovery from alcohol use disorder, we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. If you're struggling to get sober, try Soberlink. They can help. They want to help. They do. It just costs you a few bucks to help they their help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring, but you get something for your money. Mm-hmm. It's a remote alcohol monitoring system, and it was specifically designed to help you in your recovery. Mm-hmm. It's not just some breathalyzer you buy at the store. No way. I've never seen a breathalyzer at the store for sale. You haven't been to Utopia? Do they have them there? Yeah. That, they, oh, they've got them. They got, you know, fake piss Do they have you can that buy. fake they, wiener you can... Uh, you got it. Yeah, they got the Wizenator. You got to go down the stairs. Right. All the good stuff is downstairs. Adults only. Yes. There's sex toys for positions and sex you've never even imagined. Yes. Some of those devices... It's like a horror show. I don't know what it is. It's a horror show. But on top of... It just of, depends on what you're into, I but guess. But that's what you have to wade through in order to, you know, to get to these breathalyzers. I remember going in there in the 80s and you could purchase a blow-up sheep. <laughs> I think those are still available. I bet, you, I bet they are. For home delivery. Um, small enough to fit in your pocket and discreet enough to use in, front of, in public or in front of your kids, Soberlink devices combine the facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results... So friends and family know instantly that you're sober and working towards your recovery goals. The system would have been a game changer. It really would have been if, uh, for Nat and I during our early recovery when every bit of accountability helps. Yes. Imagine the prop comedy possibilities <laughs> with a handheld device from Soberlink. If I had had this, I would have had so much funny shtick for it. Every time I would pull it out, I'd have a different line. It would be hilarious. Get Soberlink. Yeah. Make 2023... And soon 2024, a memorable one. If you don't remember 2023 because you drank too much, you need 2024, you could remember if you got a Soberlink device for accountability purposes. Yes. Visit www.soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages to sign up and receive $50 off your device. And Mike will middle hyphen your ages. <laughs> I guess I will. From the back. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um I really think that they're missing a huge marketing opportunity. I've said it before for to market this product to um, parents of teenage boys who have just gotten their driver's license and are going out with their friends. Yeah, you know. But if only there was some way to hook it up to the ignition. Huh. Well, it'd be like send me the report, or it should be you like can't a drive. phone. It could like because they have to have their phone no matter where they go. Yeah, right? but it sends an alert to so, you. So somehow it could be attached to the phone to the car and. It knows. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I would, I would, that would be, I would do that. Anyway, go buy one of those things. Buy it. By the way, they want us to send them uh, listener data for the last six months. Done. 
Just <laughs> consider it done. Because she sent one of those. Maybe you didn't get my last oh, email, yes. guys. <laughs> She's uh, right. Smith is correct. Samantha. She's incorrect. We did get her last email. I, I know we're it just arrived. Very busy and and uh, we're. T- it's almost as if we're like abusive to sober. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, so I mean, they they want to send us money, and we're I, like, fuck you. You know, we'll just ignore your emails. Six okay, six months of data. Yes. It's on the list. And do we want to renew for the same price? I guess is the question. I think we need to should charge. Should we have a business meeting? We should, this? we should charge a premium for this kind of Yeah, this is, enter, this is fucking entertainment yes. as, well as, uh, as well as ad read. Edutainment. Yeah. Even. We're teaching something uh, while we sell it. Yes. So we got some hate mail this week. Yeah. Do you want to? I didn't want to give it energy. Ah, so a little energy. I was messing with all of our social media or, things, and um, I realized I don't check Instagram messages often. And so I was looking through it, and uh, and it had an alert. It said, um, you have a filter on that, you know, protects you from mad emails or bad emails. So apparently I... true? Yeah, apparently I had some safe protector on from bad vibes or something. So I said, yeah, I can handle it. What is there, a nasty message? And I clicked it off, and this popped up. (laughs) Uh, It's from Emilia F. And uh, she writes, honestly, period. I would love to love your podcast, but it's so bro. (laughs) So much gay jokes. Like, what are you, stuck in the early 2000s? You're missing a huge group of followers being kind of dumb. And I'm older than you, so don't blame it on the Middle Ages. You sound kind of white (laughs) and stupid is all. (laughs) Also. White and stupid. Also, she's not done. Let your guests talk more. We have guests? Occasionally. When we do. Okay, let them talk. Okay. Uh, it's a fair criticism. Uh, they are smarter than you. No doubt. Well, she, no doubt there. Well, that's why they're on the show. Okay. Right. Dude, hyphen, open parentheses, it's only one of you. And then, ooh, I just saw that. And then end parentheses, stop interrupting, period. Hmm. XO. XO. What, uh, which one of us is the interrupter? I don't know. Well, it's probably me because I get nervous. You, see, you always I have your questions too, together. And I'm like, bip, 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 in- interrupting. So, um, I'm so sorry, Amelia. Yeah, I'm sorry we can't be the thing that you want us to be. Uh, <laughs> and you're older than us somehow. I know. I've, there's a couple of things stick out about this. Yeah. Um, I've gotten plenty of emails from LGBT folks that like the show. And don't seem to be offended by the, What's the gay, gay jokes joke? that we don't do. What? <laughs> so I don't know. Okay, that's. I don't, I'm not sure where that one's coming from. And then uh, probably drunk. This well, is like a, know, a listener who I, like it was listen, drinking. I got mad. I hate to be that guy, but I I went on her Instagram profile and was because I because I'm like you know I don't take criticism well. No. <laughs> so I'm like, well, why does this person not like me? Right? Typical yeah, alcoholic why? response. And this person purports to be in long-term sobriety and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, clearly there's some, I mean, look, I don't know this person, but I would think it seems like some issues are being worked out in an email yeah. to your, to a podcast that you don't like. Like, well, what like do you my think? response, yeah. if I don't like a podcast is I don't listen to it. You don't it. listen. I don't write the creators to say, you guys suck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the only reason you do that is like for something that's going on inside of you. Clearly you know? there's um, something being worked out, as you say. And what do you think I responded with? Did I, 
I mean, what would you think I would respond with? Like, you asshole, no, don't fucking you. listen. Not you. You would. You sent a very nice response. This was my response. You can you said, okay, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Always. We will take your thoughts into consideration when making future episodes. Never my intention to alienate any group of people. It's intention or effect, which is I, I didn't intend I to. Really, though, if you don't like the show, it's okay. We understand. Have a great holiday. Love, Nat X, and the prayer hands. That's it. Um, what else can I say to this person? I like. What I don't else? know what to say about the Just, white thing because that's she, weird. She is also white. But why is that a pejorative? <laughs> I don't know. And, it, and <laughs> we're kind of dumb. Okay, point well, taken. Agreed. Yeah. This is like <laughs> we never claim to be smart. Mm. Um Sound kind of white and stupid. Sound, All right, fine. Should, what should I sound like, really, though? I mean, it's uh, it's the whole passive aggressive thing yeah. that you XO. Know, you know, we get emails like this from time to time by people who really have no concrete example of the things that they're accusing us of, but just kind of like throw this shit out there to make well, us feel bad. I guess they don't need to present a case. Unfortunately, yeah, no, there's I mean, no. It's just they're vomiting. I mean, they're that's, mad. That's social media. We've said something. I, guess. I mean, yeah. But, uh, okay, well, thanks. I mean, I guess. <laughs> Happy holidays. I'm sorry we're so white. <laughs> That's my, my biggest regret is how white we sound. Mm. Have you, uh, are you having a Christmas party for your um, employees? Or um, a holiday party, I should say? Cause, well, you know, I was, I always wanted to do that. I don't think I'm quite there yet. Though. No. Okay. I would love to. Spend all the money on the car. Some decent <laughs> car. <laughs> Eating up a decent portion of our holiday budget. <laughs> uh, well, you know, because we had a holiday party. You did? Yeah, we had one. Uh, so so my company used to have these really crazy, over-the-top holiday parties. Like 80s, 90s yeah, parties. exactly. Like open bar. Everything You know, goes. it would be on a, a restaurant, usually on the Hudson River, overlooking the Manhattan skyline or line or, or an Italian restaurant in a nice part of Jersey where the Italian food's really good. Um, you know, there's 200 people, so it was wow. always a big... It was like going to a wedding, basically, right? Um but there was a change in management a couple of years ago. And, and um, I think since we are an insurance company, uh, I think people started... Did they have to sign waivers before they... Yeah, people started <laughs> realizing that all that open booze and everything was not a good idea. There was a couple of... They had an actuary stumble. come in and go, uh, guys. Yeah. Are you kidding me? The actuarial department is the biggest bunch of drugs Are they there. really? I mean, they, boy, when they cut loose, it's nothing like actuaries. <laughs> oh, shit, to- it's the actuary department. <laughs> Get down. But I, thought, I think they had some uh, some incidents a couple of years ago of people hitting it a little too hard at the mm-hmm. open bar, and you know, so and so in, in within five years we've transitioned from a party like that to uh, a luncheon at the Hilton uh, <laughs> after a town hall in a conference room. So wow, um, kind of takes the bite out of it. I mean, it, it removes alcohol out of the equation, which is I'm not un. Happy about that, right. except it doesn't really, because when we got there this time, we had to fill out a uh, um, a little ticket, and we said put our initials on it because we were going to have a they were going to monogram a wine glass for us. Oh, so this is the the gift that you give two hundred people. The assumption is they're all everyone drunks. drinks, right? Yep. Even though I know there's some like Islamic folks who don't drink, right. and some other people that just don't drink at all. But the wine glasses, you, you know, that's the glass. party favor. Uh, I guess I shouldn't look a gift glass in the mouth. And and the response, I said this to my friend, and he's like, "Well, you could drink anything out of that." I'm like, "Yes, but the intent 
<laughs> is that you drink wine out of it because it's a wine glass. Yeah, so Otherwise, not, they would have given me a, a tumbler yeah, of some <laughs> sort that I that they could have monogrammed. You could put your non-alcoholic wine in it. I could. Well, I threw the rest of that bottle you out, did. by the way. I was like, eh, I, yeah. don't, I don't want it. Didn't scratch an itch. So I drank, I was drinking a kombucha out of my uh, monogram wine glass yesterday. I was going to suggest that. Um, but then the other thing was, um, you know, it's like, we can't give you booze, so we're going to give you booze once removed. A that's taking a picture. Yes, okay. booze removed. Booze once removed. So I, I look I look in the room where all the food is set up, and there's this table and this giant like steel piece of machinery that looks like you'd see it in a laboratory with smoke coming out of it. Ooh. And apparently it is a device that is used to infuse ice cream with booze. <laughs> so I go up, I get online. I'm not sure what this ice cream is. I'm like, maybe it's just some kind of nitrogen roll. You ever yeah. see that rolled ice cream? Yes. Yep. The nitrogen shit. So I go up there and I'm like, well, what do we have here? And they're like, it's ice cream. And I'm like, great. What flavors do you have? And she tells me the flavors and she's like, they all have alcohol. Yeah. They're all infused with booze. What percentage alcohol? Is it like uh, like liquor? Uh, there was a rum one. Oy. There was a whiskey one. And then there were some wine ones. And... I was like, do you have any uh, do you have any ice cream for people that don't want alcohol in their ice cream? And she just looked at me like I had two heads. What are you nuts? So I went over to the donut wall and I got myself a donut. But as soon as people found out that the boo- the ice cream had booze in it, the line was like 150 people deep. Oh my god! Because people are like, we got to get the booze in somehow at this party. Well, how you is know? that okay when you can't have a cartoon selling cigarettes like a, a Joe Camel, but? Putting alcohol, or like you can't have flavored vapes because it markets to children. Yeah. What is more marketed to children than like a fucking ice cream cone? Yes. That is the definition of marketing to children. And I've often complained that the child <laughs> child labor laws do not allow us to employ people under the age of right. 21 in our, in our office. But um, so it was all adults. But I've noticed that, uh, I think I talked about this six months ago or something. Mm. In Huntington, there's a store next, it's right in between a frozen yogurt store and a uh, Ralph's Italian Ices is a place where you can buy infused ice cream. Oh. And... I didn't know. That. I mean, there's so many new shops in Huntington. I mean, this is like... I don't, is it I, even I know Huntington? Ralph's... It's sort of like Melville. Oh. It's it's up... You know where the White Castle used to be? Oh, yeah. Over... Yeah, I know. I, I just got sad. a big smile if you guys couldn't yeah. hear at the White Castle on yeah. 110. Um <sighs> But I mean, so that I could see the kids, you know, having a, you know. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, they, you could, they're going to put it on Saturday morning cartoons. There'll be, you know, ads for super ice cream. You know, be silly like mommy. Yeah, let, let's. Yeah, <laughs> mommy, why are you eating ice cream at eight o'clock in the morning? Um, so that is the, you know, the pro booze side. Oh, of, milkshakes. They put it in milkshakes. Too. Amazing! It could be an alcoholic milkshake. Oh yeah, just without. I, that's probably those exist, yeah. right? Aren't the what are those drinks with like a Kahlua? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a like mud it's a slide. Slushy, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, see, I'm getting ideas now. On the flip side of my company trying to infuse us with alcohol mm-hmm. is every year my boss, and he doesn't have to do this because he doesn't get like paid from the company for it. Gives all of his immediate reports like a nice little gift. It's usually, usually, it's always. Liquor of some sort, right. wine, beer. One one year they they played a, he played a game where you could it was sort of like a white elephant. If you didn't like mm-hmm. what you got, you could swap for somebody else's booze. So a pinot for like a, a merlot, yeah, basically. or a case of beer, yeah. or whatever it was. Um, 
So this year, we he calls us all up into the room. I'm like, here we go. I'm about to get another bottle of wine that I can stick in my uh, in my cabinet at work, <laughs> and it'll still be there next year. And he hands out all the wine, but for me, he has a bag, and it's full of weed. No, he has <laughs> he has a bag, and he hands it to me. He goes, ah, yeah, this one's for he's. Uh, He's watching his health or something, you know, and they hand me the bag and everybody in the room looks at me and I look in there and it's like, I can't see what it is. I, I take it back to my office. It's an inflatable sheep. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, I just used my last name like yes. five fucking times. That's not your last name. God damn it. It's too late to cover up for it. It goes, uh, so-and-so is, uh, in- <laughs> <laughs> so it ends up that he finally internalized the fact that I don't drink alcohol anymore. And he got me two bottles of aged balsamic vinegar. Now that is a mensch. Right. Very I was, nice. I, now that's what a good boss. That's, you know what I mean? He's thoughtful. He was very remembering. thoughtful. And I, so I went in his office and I said, listen, I really appreciate oh, yeah. you doing that. I said, uh, you know, and, and thank you. And Did he play it cool or was he... How did yeah, he, he told me the story of how he had to run around and find it where it was much easier for him to just buy booze. For and the you're other like, people. it's all about you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so that was, uh, that was good. I appreciate it. Yeah, that cool. It, it warmed my cockles. Look, I make your cockles, <laughs> consider them warm. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, I have a good feeling about 2024, I have to say. Do you? I have a good feeling. In what way? Things, like, I have this, and tell me if I'm alone in this, but I'm getting the sense that there is a positive upwelling of energy good things i i feel it i know there's always negative and it's so easy for anyone to say oh you can't even turn on the news Uh, this is blowing up and that one listen it's always like that i got news for you literally go back any time in the past when they have news and it's bad there's always bad news however i am definitely noticing a positive something bubbling up Things are like people are evolving away from some of this, uh, you know, like the attacking each other. I feel like there's there's something coming that's going to break it all up. There's a positive energy I think welling up. Fucking nuts, dude. It's happening. <laughs> I'm telling no you. 2024, I'm going to, this is my decree, shall be the greatest year in the history of the world. Uh, it could be the last year in the history of the world, too. But the best Nonetheless, uh, I, so I, I have a positive feeling, monsters. I think this is, this is going to be a new a car high. This like, must is this, be. <laughs> <laughs> you're just fucking goose on fumes. Listen, think about it. Four years ago, I think four, maybe five. I I didn't even have a driver's license, much less a car. Uh, couldn't even afford a car. Couldn't even think about it. Besides not legally driving it. Five years later, six. Things are things are improving, and it goes to show me, at least, that things do get better. And your world is getting better. What about the rest of us slobs out I'm, there? I, it looks like people are happier out there. What? I'm getting. Where more, have you been? I don't know. I feel like I'm not getting as much negativity from like people I interact. with. It's weird. Maybe That's it's because I'm giving out a lot of positive. Maybe you're. Energy. Maybe maybe you got a, some positive flow maybe going out. Maybe it's finally coming back to me. All of this. Hmm. Positive hmm. I'm putting out. I don't know. The Middle I mean, East is a mess. We're probably going to get into a nuclear war. How many years fucking, have we been saying that? Yeah. Since I'm a kid, we say, oh, the Middle East is a mess. You could say that. Presidential election coming up. Every and, four years, yeah. this is what we say. <laughs> you know, this is nothing new, folks. If you think that the sky is falling, they've been saying that since the dawn of time. 
This guy is not fooling. I don't know. I, uh, it I, is not fu- I guarantee you, 2024, see, here's the best thing. year. It's easy to have equanimity when things are going your way. That's what an optimist is, right? someone who's giving you good advice or positive uh, advice when things are going well for them. Right. right? I mean, here's the whole, there's a whole bunch of people out there for whom things are not going particularly well. Anybody trying to buy a home, for example. Anybody who has to, or has trying a, on to a limited a fixed car. income, who is trying to buy groceries. Anybody who uh, there's always you know, reasons, is concerned yeah. about democracy. Uh, there's always things you know. to be upset about. And yes. if anybody has had things to be upset, panicking, and dismal about, it's me. And let me tell you, it is hard. And uh, I always, no matter what, try to keep positive, even though it's impossible sometimes. Well, now let's not veer off into some toxic positivity there. Toxic positive. Be positive. You have to fight this negative, dark blade of evil. You know, I was thinking of the dark saber from uh, Mandalorian. Yeah, I got to go back. Oh, my God. That that. was so cool. The dark saber. It's like a lightsaber sword. But it's somehow black with like a white outline. Hmm. It's very cool. You know, train wreck. People say that there's a baseline of happiness, right? And I'm I'm never very on the pessimistic side of that. I mean, I'm generally a pretty positive guy, but I'm also a realist. And yes. looking around at the way the world is, I, I isn't you know, it always like this though? It, Siri doesn't understand. Siri doesn't the understand. Sky is falling. Yeah, I don't know. AI is taking over. What else? Yeah, well, the okay. East, I hadn't. I hadn't there's a war in Russia. Yeah, don't forget about <laughs> forget about <laughs> the, the singularity where AI becomes sentient sure. and wastes all of us. But uh, let's try and have fun up until that point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I guess so. Um, right. Um, the power of the positive mind is mm-hmm. is something. But you know, there's people who are on this journey who are not. As advanced yes. as uh, you know, Yoda Nat over here. Hey, this and is going to last at least an hour till I have to go to work. Until so. <laughs> the coffee. Let me enjoy off. it while I got it. <laughs> um, uh, listen, I'm glad. I'm glad you're in a good headspace. I mean, I'm. I'm not in a terrible place, but I, you know, the seasonal yeah. affective shit is. It's hard. I've been gobbling fucking magnesium and B12 and yeah and D3 like it's going out of style. Magnesium. Someone else was telling me that they started to take it and it helps a lot. What is the magnesium thing? It's good for your nerves. It helps your sleep. It's like relaxes you, yeah. right? You sleep yeah, better. Yeah. It's but 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 it's not like a a con- you don't like pop a magnesium pill and then find yourself relaxing. It's not like a like a benzo light. Yeah. It's just, um, it's like a daily, isn't yeah. it a powder? I've seen people take, you can take it in a powder. powder. I, I like tend melatonin. not to take powders yeah. anymore. I, I just take a gummy. Those yeah. are my favorite things to, to Gummy take. is the best delivery yeah. system for is it? everything. Is it? I love gummy vitamins, gummy melatonin, gummy CBD. What else? Yeah, that's about it. Mm. Gummy, Fucking THC. Gummy suppositories. What? Ooh. Does that you can't taste them though that way. Or can you? <laughs> <laughs> I uh so I went to the city with uh with Aaron. We had a date on Saturday. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and it, the city's have, lit up. Yeah, it's beautiful. We Christmas. haven't done speaking of positivity, uh, yeah. we left we left we offered to bring Ben with us, but he was like, No, I'm gonna just yeah. lay here in bed all day. And 13. I was like, that's fine. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah. So we drove in, which uh, to Williamsburg, parked the car, took the subway. Uh, the L train, 14th Street, 8th Avenue, went to the Whitney Museum. I have not been to the Whitney in oh, wow. many years, if ever. Um, I don't know if I've been there. I've I think it's a it. new location. It's in the Meatpacking District. Ah. 
Oh, meat you're, packing. You're, you're, uh, you're familiar with the meat packing district? No, right? oh, no I'm thinking of the meat slapping district. <laughs> <laughs> or the fudge packing yeah, district. Yeah, the fudge packing. Oh, is that one of the gay jokes that we tell? <laughs> oh, shit. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am um, so sorry. I mean, back in the 80s, it used to just be drugs and hookers and meat down there, you know? <laughs> meat, hookers, drugs. Oh, I wouldn't equate prostitution with maybe, I don't know. I'm not getting in any more trouble with people. You need to take that call. No, I'm not no. taking it. Um, and you know what else is down there? The High Line. Have you ever uh, been on the High Line? No, but I've um, I've read it. There's a picture book about it for um, that I read to kids. It's all about the High Line. Where, <laughs> wait a minute. That's how I know about it. You're talking about what the... What kids um, are you reading a picture book about the High Line Wait, to? isn't the High Line where it's like a railroad that's like raised up and yeah, it's Yeah, yeah. It's like a park on top. Yeah. yeah. The whole book is about the guy who curates the garden there. Okay. It's called the what curious. kids are you reading this book? My to? kids. Oh, your kids. You just said that I read two kids. Random I'm like, kids. Do you, uh, <laughs> you spend your time in a way I don't know about? Like, is there? Are you do? You, are you part of the reading rainbow? I don't know. Anyway, so we uh, we realized on our we, we uh, after we went to the museum, we were going to go get some dinner in Greenwich Village, and and both of us like Ethiopian food, and we had not had it in quite some time. And there's a little pl- kind of hole in the wall place on McDougal Street, just south of Washington Square Park, that has traditional Ethiopian food. Ooh, interesting. And if you haven't had that, they put like, it's like stews and curries and vegetables and they put it all on this thing called an injera, which is an edible bread. It's the closest thing you can compare it to would be like a crepe, I guess. And then they serve other crepes on the side and you use your right hand, hand, you pull off the injera, you scoop up the stuff off the communal plate and you put it in your mouth. You use your right hand because your left hand is supposed to be the one that you wipe your ass with. Oh. I don't understand that because I can't wipe my ass with my left hand. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Right? You would think you would use your left hand to eat because the right hand is the one you wipe your ass with, right? Well, well that's maybe they train as, since children to use yes, the to left. Yes, to use the left. Right. And that's right. how they, yeah. Plus, you know, most uh, uh, other countries, they use bidets and water to, to clean the ass. Clean uh, the America, ass. In America, we clean the ass with dry paper. Either way. Which may explain an, our sunny disposition. That's it. As yeah. Americans. But um, mm. anyway, as we were walking across... Uh, from the Whitney to Washington Square Park, we noticed that it was SantaCon. Do you know what SantaCon is? I've heard stories of drunk Santas. Yes. SantaCon yeah. is when everybody in the city who is between the age of 20 and 40 dresses up like Santa Claus and gets shit-faced drunk <laughs> and then staggers around the city. Yeah. All right. So that's the whole thing. They just people dress up like Santa and they all they all go out and drink all day long. Is there a convention or well, do they like the convention is just they show up, show up and get drunk. Okay. so we were walking back and there were these two girls in in front of us who were dressed like Santa Claus and um, they could hardly walk. (laughs) And they were trying to like jump in the air and click their heels and they were getting cat calls and it was a whole like thing. (laughs) And then when we were done eating. Uh, we were walking back up to the subway, and, and I stopped by this pizzeria. It was full of drunk Santas, like a sea of drunk Santas. I oh, took a wow. picture of it. Oh, no. He just um, have to post that one. And, and then there was all these drunk Santas waiting online to get in this club. But it got me thinking, like, you know, SantaCon wasn't a thing when I lived in, in the city. Like, it just didn't it exist. It recent, yeah. Yeah, but I remember pushing the kids around in strollers when, I was, uh, when they were much younger, and we found ourselves in the city on Santa Con Day in Midtown. And there were all the Irish bars were full of drunk Santas. And I don't know. It just seems like another excuse to have a drinking holiday. Yeah. It, 
as if New York City needs more excuses to drink. Yeah, what, what else can we dress up like and drink for? Yeah. But they took away the drinking for New Year's Eve. Where? Uh, in New York City. Isn't it like they don't have alcohol? Or, what? Isn't it? I heard that that's, there's no bathrooms. One of the... Oh, in Times Square? Twi- yeah, Times Square. Yeah, people, Square, people wear drink. diapers. They stand in Times Square with a diaper on. I'll never understand that. I, me either. I remember in the 80s, we went down there a couple times, me and my friends, and it was a chaos. It was crimes being committed, drinking, urinating in the streets. I remember standing on top of a newsstand in Times Square, yeah. and these guys would come on and try and throw other people off, oh. and it was like, it was it's crazy. It was fun. <laughs> and now it's this weird sanitized thing where people wear diapers and yeah. stand around not, you not know, drinking, not drinking and great. Not drinking. Okay. Um, what is the point of it all? Yeah. Why would you stand in the middle of Times Square and shit in your pants to be a, in a dangerous crowd? Yeah. Mm. It's not dangerous though. It's That's just, the least dangerous. Th- you think if something goes wrong, it's the worst place to pass. It's a big target. Yes, I mean, right. But I mean, there are no New Yorkers there. That's true. <laughs> New Yorkers run into your cousin. Uh, yeah. I mean, there used to be New Yorkers there, but, you know, they've stripped all the fun out of it, I guess. Yeah, New York. I worked in New York briefly uh, in 2010, and I thought I had, or 13, I can't remember, but I thought I had arrived, you know. And when I got there, I began to realize nobody I worked with, nobody in any of these buildings, nobody was from New York. I was it. I was the last schmuck growing up in New York who was still working there. Hmm. You know, so the, the, rest of, uh, the rest of them escaped. I think so. Yeah, it is a lot of outsiders seeking their fortunes, I guess. Yeah. Making it more expensive. Right. Mm. Well, it's New York. People come and they want to, you know, if yeah. you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, do you bring the family in to go to the tree or any of that stuff? Or Not as a tradition. It's something we've done and it's something Christine always wants to do. She likes to go see the trees. So maybe we'll, we're going to try and schlep into the city and. Yeah. Wander around looking at the bright lights, the giant tree. You know, it's nice. It's it's very nice. Try not to go during uh, on a weekend. Yeah, it's just packed, right? Yeah. Um yeah, I want to take I want to take the kids. I wanted weekend. to see the uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Are they trans? They are all, all no, don't make a joke about they're all No, I'm actually they are not I, tra- trans. I'm actually curious. I oh, don't know. you've never know. heard of these guys? No. It's so. just this giant rock and roll orchestra that puts on a huge, you know, Christmas show with lasers and... Really? Uh, rock guitars and huh. light shows. Yeah, you would spectacle. love it. Yeah, but Trans-Siberia, I think, actually means across Siberia. Oh, it yeah, mean- no, it's not. They're <laughs> okay. not trans. <laughs> I mean, who knows nowadays? Now, what's yeah. her name is going to write us again? You know? That's okay. How dare you make light of such a thing? You're right. I mean... Part of me was like, well, maybe she's going to, you know, screw us up our algorithm and leave us a bad review. But Oh, now you've given her the idea. I'm <laughs> running to the computer right now. Eh, she wouldn't want to do that because we told her to do that. Speaking of documentaries. Are we going there already? I think we have to because we also <laughs> we run out of shit to talk we about. We run out of shit. Okay, so uh, the documentary that you did not see yes. is on... Uh, well, I need to hear all about it. Okay, it's on Amazon Prime. I don't... And, okay, it's called No-No, as I said. And uh, so it basically covers Doc Ellis's career. He's an African-American baseball player. Uh, he's a pitcher. He was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Famous pitcher. A famous pitcher. He was known for his powerful pitching, and he was an important figure in baseball during the 70s, both for his... 
um, pitching, as well as his civil rights advocacy uh, and his legendary uh, mouth and drug use yeah. and uh, all this other stuff. Um, so the film basically traces his rise. Uh, it doesn't go into too much about his childhood, which I thought was kind of interesting because clearly the stuff that came out with him later and all of the, the drug use he was doing and the drinking and everything yeah. was grounded in something that went on something had in to, his yeah. childhood. Um, his trauma. Something I learned, though, is that in the 1970s, everybody in baseball was on speed. Mm-hmm. Did you know this? I, yeah, I had heard a rumor they, about that. They were it was on, like normal. Everybody yeah, was taking speed. It was speed. these things called greenies. Uh. And I'm not exactly sure what was in a greenie. Um, probably like some sort of like meth, like dextrin. Yeah, some amphetamine. You know. but, um, but if you didn't take a greenie, like you were not, you were not good. Like they would cut you. Like um, they, Is it one of those things that have up. the bowl of pills and everybody would have to take um, one or so they hand them out? And yeah, they, they, interviewed, they interviewed some of the the old coaches who were like, I told them I didn't want it. And I said, you are not going to be using those greenies. And, and if you do, I don't want to see it. <laughs> so it was not really like a yeah. very strong, you know, everybody in major league baseball was doing it. Um, I don't know. So Ellis was, was not only a talented pitcher, but he was also an advocate for his peers, for players rights, because back then this was, and this is a lot more sports ball than, than I'm usually yeah. interested in, but I like unionizing and they were being taken advantage. Well, of the free agent system yeah. didn't really exist then. You know, you were, you were basically paid by the team, not a lot of money. I mean, Reggie Jackson was the first guy that got a million dollar a year contract yeah. and that wasn't until 1978. I wow. think it was. Yeah, they were I'm sure the sports this. people will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he he was a... Um, Doc was a vocal critic of racial injustice uh, in the sport. His career had a lot of challenges. I mean, um, he went from... Moved on from the Greenies to... Um, he loved, like, smoking weed and, and taking acid and mescaline. And he said he would just... He was a garbage can. He would take whatever, take whatever. came in front of him. And... Um, but he uh, um, he had a big impact on the on the game as a player, uh, and subsequently, after he got sober, he helped other players. You know, he helped other oh, players get sober, and he turned it around and stuff like that. But his career was definitely shortened by the fact that he he, well, he was pitched a no hitter on acid. Yeah, and yeah, if, I'm getting to that. Like um, that's amazing. But um, he and he he hated to be known for that. He hated to be known for it, because, especially after he got sober. He wished he didn't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, okay. So, so his, big, his big thing was he pitched a no-hitter while he was under the influence uh, of LSD. Um, and it was part of this three-day bender that he was on. Like, he, he and the team flew into San Diego, and they were, he was supposed to pitch on the Sunday, and, or so he thought. And so on Thursday night, he drove up to L.A. Uh, with a bunch of friends and met a bunch of girls up there and they took acid and they wandered around and they partied for days and then somebody said, hey, um, the phone rang and he picked it up and it was the team looking for him and he was like, why? I don't pitch till tomorrow and they're like, no, you pitch today. So he had to get himself back from oh. L.A. to San Diego, <laughs> suit up, and go out there and pitch the game while he was high on acid. And um, he pitched a, a nine-inning no-hitter. He hit is... a couple of players with pitches, <laughs> but, you know, that's to, perhaps to be expected. But he, he pitched the whole game, 
And, um, you yeah, know, and that's one into, of the hardest things to do, in, if not the hardest. It happens so rarely when even the greatest baseball players, completely sober, practicing for years, coming close and failing. It is one of the most difficult uh, feats to accomplish. And this guy did it tripping on acid. Which only goes to show you like how how good a pitcher he was, right? Because, you know, regular pitchers can't pitch no hitters typically, like even if no. they're not on acid. But um, so initially when, when he first uh, talked about this, he was pretty nonchalant and, and described it in like a humorous way. Like he said that uh, he struggled to maintain his focus. With, uh, the catcher's mitt sometimes appeared huge. Like the size of like I don't know like a uh, like a flying saucer He's or like something full hallucination or or it would, or it appeared really small <laughs> like a tiny little catcher's mitt um, and the players he said he looked like they were swinging multiple bats oh, wow. like and trails like from the bat swinging Jeez. and uh, he also talked about how he couldn't feel the ball or see the batter or catcher clearly just patterns swirling around what the fuck? and. Um, you know, so so his recounting of the event often highlighted the surreal and, and challenging aspects of playing <laughs> while under the influence of such a powerful hallucinogenic drug. But when he became more open about his struggles with substance abuse and more involved in counseling and advocacy work, his perspective changed, right? He's, mm. He started um, expressing regret uh, about about it and and concerned probably, about he was mm. concerned about the message it might send that you oh you look you can take acid and, yeah. and hit the pinnacle of your career you know yeah he's probably thinking he's like romanticizing it making it look you know like this is a good thing and now he's anti-drugs obviously so well he was he was worried that the the no hitter on lsd could be misconstrued as a glorification of drug use and you know now you have all these guys in silicon valley who are doing this micro dosing all yeah. the time and you know claiming that that improves their performance and who knows if it does or it doesn't i don't know if there's any way to really yeah and a microdose is a, a weird thing because it's supposedly sub-therapeutic or you take just enough so that the body knows it's in but you don't sense it like i don't i don't fully understand microdosing we should probably learn more about it i mean it sounds like bullshit to me <laughs> doesn't it like, yeah just taking small it, it's amounts like, of lsd or yeah. mushrooms I, you know I don't know. Some people swear it helps them. Um, I don't know. I have mm. enough trouble functioning without. I mean, is it, is, is LSD tripping? a performance enhancing drug? I don't think I so. Mean, it was for Doc Ellis in 1970. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, some people do report from microdosing that they, they, it reduces their anxiety somehow. And that it's, it's like you take the microdose and you don't change the way you feel or you don't see things but there's some like effect yeah on the on cellular level yeah. yeah i don't know that would drive me nuts i'd be like i just want to take all of it do you right. get a month's well, worth i don't know about that I, I i've never felt that with acid like give me more <laughs> give acid, me more yeah know? i wanted enough just to get over the line you know i mean i couldn't even walk sometimes on acid never mind pitch a no hitter <laughs> yeah but. i know I don't know. Maybe Doc had a high tolerance at that point, but uh, a high he was, tolerance. He was a real. He was an interesting guy. Like one of the other like big events that happened. Uh, he was an angry man, right? And and a lot of that stemmed from the drug use and from whatever was precipitating the drug and alcohol abuse. Um, but baseball was also like a very 
bunch of rowdy guys. If you look at pictures like from the time or pictures from that documentary, it's all these guys like, like hockey out. players. Yeah, and they got cigarettes and cigars <laughs> and tobacco, you know, beers in their hands and stuff. Um, I mean, look at the '86 Mets. They were like the the most wasted team, and they were all coked up all yeah. the time. Keith Hernandez wasn't he accused of? like being a part of some cocaine ring or something. Yeah, and he I, testified in front of Congress about how everybody was doing Coke in the major leagues. Coke and steroids and, oh my God. Yeah. I don't know. But you know, in, in, in 1974, Ellis, uh, in one game against the Cincinnati Reds, <clears throat> I thought this was kind of interesting. Before the game, he was a little, <coughs> excuse me, either hungover or a little boozy or, or hopped up on something. And he looked at like Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and those guys. And he was like, Fuck those guys. He's like, fuck them. Fuck their arrogance. And so he was the starting pitcher. So first guy gets up to bat, boom, he beans him. Second guy gets up to bat, boom. Third guy, boom. Fourth guy, two shots at, at his head. So he hit Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Dan Dryson, and threw two pitches at Tony Perez's head before they yanked him out of the game. <laughs> Yeah, the teach incident him. was uh, controversial, not only for its blatant disregard for player safety, but also as an expression of Ellis's fiery and confrontational behavior. That's one way of looking at it, yes. yes. Or you could also call it assault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. It's another so, way of looking at it. I mean, it's funny because in, in the things, things haven't changed that much because in the aftermath of that happening, like they, in the documentary, they showed a, like uh, news clippings and it was like, Senator wants jail time for beaning you know oh, pick, uh, right. ball players and stuff it's like everybody's got to get their shit in there um he was also known for you know his style which included wearing hair curlers during pre pre-game workouts which was controversial at the time and seen as a challenge to the conservative norms oh yes yes like joe namath with his bushy sideburns and long hair <laughs> he was a, a vocal advocate for the rights of african-american players in Major League Baseball, he spoke out against racial discrimination in the league and worked to support fellow African-American players both during and after his playing career. He actually, one of the moments in the documentary that I really liked is he got very choked up um, because he had, um, was very outspoken in, in favor of um, his African-American teammates being received, you know, receiving the same treatment. And he got a letter from Jackie Robinson, and Jackie Robinson was the first uh, player to break the color barrier in baseball and play on a on an segregated team and Jackie Robinson said that he was doing an amazing job and he could be proud of the stuff he was doing and you know he be Doc Ellis was reading this in like 2007 I guess right before he died and and uh he you know broke down and started crying and, wow. you know, the great Jackie Robinson um but I believe if I'm not mistaken Jackie Ro uh, Jackie Robinson uh Doc also played on the first team that was all African-American players that had been fielded in a unsegregated team wow. an unsegregated game so like all nine players on the field for one team were either african-american or hispanic wow so um but um so he went through his career you know he went from the pirates and then he went to the yankees then he went to the texas rangers and eventually he kind of lost his his mojo and at that point he was also really heavily addicted to alcohol and cocaine and you know all the women in his life like they seemed to love him, but they each one of them had a story of how he would like held them oh, hostage. <laughs> that was and, his, like his attacked kink. them and like beat them up and stuff and like Jeez. held guns to their heads. Oh, but they were God. all like, you know, they and spoke it, about it like, oh, that's just Doc. That's Doc yeah. being Doc. That's Doc being you know? Doc holding me hostage. But I mean, they they you know, <laughs> and, so there is that side you know of him and um, you know his his 
last wife, I guess, broke up with him over that. But he um, called his mother shortly after that happened and said, or was it another? It was his sister and said, pick me up at the airport, bring a big bottle of vodka. I'm going to drink that bottle and then I'm going to go to rehab. And, and he did? And he did. Wow. And he never had another drink after that. Um, wow. So shortly after that, he started um, helping other players, and he would go to a lot of, he went to a lot of prisons and spoke to, to, to people about drug and alcohol abuse mm. and why they shouldn't, you know. That's a living amends. I mean, we talk about making amends and saying sorry to people, but, you know, that to me was always the highest form of uh, amends is to just change your behavior and help others. And that's what, you know, he's doing. And I think just being remembered for all of that good stuff. You know, the LSD story, he might be embarrassed by, or he was in any case, but it's it's just a side note on there. Yeah, he did a lot of public yeah. speaking uh, on substance abuse awareness and treatment, and he visited a lot of community centers and schools. Um, he basically, it was it was his life. He went back to school to get a, uh, a degree in counseling Yeah, so he could uh, help. I mean, I guess guys, when they retired from baseball back then, did not have like right, they weren't sitting hundreds on millions. of millions of dollars, <laughs> yeah. you know. I'm not saying that Doc Ellis needed the money. I mean, I'm sure he could have just walked around, went around signing, yeah, yeah. you know, posters and stuff and made himself a decent living. But, um, you know, he used his platform to help others. Um, in his career ended in the 1980s. And, um, and it was not cool or popular to be, you know, anti-drugs and stuff back then. It wasn't as like today it's it's a noble thing and people are speaking out against, you know, drug use and alcohol. But it was a different uh, it was a different time, especially you could smoke a cigarette and drink it while you drove your Buick LeSabre, you know, <laughs> to the track to. Uh, yeah. Bet on the pony. I mean, as, as interwoven as alcohol is in today's society, it was even more oh, prevalent yeah. then. I mean, drinking was done everywhere. It's like cigarette smoking. Like, yeah. Like when my kids asked me like <clears throat> about the 80s, dad, what were the 80s like? Uh, or express like some kind of feeling like, oh, it must have been oh, way better great? back then. It was so much cooler than today. And I think like the one thing that they would never, that people wouldn't expect or don't realize is that everything smelled like cigarettes. Yes. The bowling everything, alley, everything. especially. Yeah. That's bowling right. alley, yeah. restaurants, bars, you supermarket, smell, yeah. everything. And if you've had your friends, parents smoked, you go in their house, it just smelled like you cigarettes. Also, your clothes smelled, the cars smelled, everything. Did your parents smoke? No. Yeah, they were either. 100% anti-smoking. Yeah. And my mom would, if we went anywhere near someone smoking, she would make the like stage whisper, can you believe that? <laughs> he can hear you. But this yeah. is back when smoking was yeah. okay. But she was 100%. I think her parents smoked for a long time. And uh, so she hated it. You know, she grew up in a house, I think, with smokers. And so they were very anti-smoking. It, hmm. it was a big scandal when I found out my dad used to smoke, I remember. Right. Uh, you know, in his early 30s or something. <laughs> they turned it into this big, horrible thing. <laughs> but yeah, we didn't smoke. But everything smelled like smoke. It was not... That much better of a time, guys. Harder. I smoked for probably eight years, and I I've told the kids about it. And yeah, you know they're they just look at it sort of like as a historical anachronism. Right. Like it's like they, I don't know if they picture like I they just see the past as the past. You know, they've yeah. asked me weird questions like you know, <laughs> did you have like uh, oh, did you ride horses back then? And yeah, stuff yeah, like, you yeah. know, like back, they, it's just in the, the past, yeah. right? <laughs> 
So just circling back to the documentary for a minute, um, it was, if you choose to watch it, it's, uh, it's on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to watch but, it. But um, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. going to watch the shit out of this documentary. <laughs> watch its face it's, off. It's 100 minutes long, so you have to really be gonna, willing to take 100 minutes of baseball. I'm going to talk. I'm going to tune in. And uh, it, the guy who made the documentary, um, uh, Jeffrey Radis, and produced by Mike Blizzard and Chris Cortez, and Jeff Seaman Gilbert. Seaman. Uh, it premiered at 2014 Sundance Film Festival and has since garnered attention for its unique subject matter and approach. Uh-huh. The soundtrack is great. It's a lot of um, funk okay. uh, from the 70s, Love which is awesome. Um, but you have to kind of... It's a baseball-forward documentary. It's not... Like a lot of these things we watch are focused on recovery or they mm-hmm. focused on the addiction aspect. And, and while that was a big part of the documentary towards the end, the first three quarters of the documentary were just Doc's teammates and everything. And it was a lot of discussion of baseball, of baseball and stuff. pitching and all that kind of stuff. So if you're into baseball, it's a really good documentary. And since this thing came out in like 2014, I assume most of our listeners have watched it already who are into baseball, but you know, maybe not. Um, just, uh, I enjoyed it because, I did watch baseball in the 70s because mm-hmm. I was born yeah. in 1968. So by the time 70s, the Yankees uh, played the Reds in the, in the World Series in 77, um, it was, I was like into baseball then, right? Yeah. Uh, I was into the Mets, which was unfortunate. But, Sorry. Um, but so I enjoyed seeing all these uh, interviews with some of the older players. It takes stuff. you back. Was, yeah. It made me think about just thinking about this whole thing. Like what was the craziest thing you did on acid or like, what was the scenario where you were tripping and you really just, it was not a good thing? Not a good thing? Like you weren't trying. You weren't like, I took acid and I hung out in a field listening to the Grateful Dead all day. Like I mean, you took that's acid. most of my acid stories. So one day I got some acid in high school. I don't know if I told the story, but I was, I have to be. because you took too much acid. I took the, you know, and I, I used to do it on the weekends. Um, but uh, the, the guy I would get it from, he was a day student. Uh, it was in the morning of classes, and I saw him, and he goes, hey, I look what I found in my wallet, and it was two hits of acid, mm. and I said, oh, I said, do you think it's any good? He goes, ah, probably not, and I said, oh, I'll just take it, so I took it, and I had driver's ed that afternoon, and it was <laughs> my turn to drive, uh-huh. so I'm just remembering sitting there with all the kids in the car and the driver's ed teacher, and I got my hands on the wheel, and we're looking down Chapman Parkway. And he's like, okay, you can go. I'm like, I'm going. And he's like, you have to put it in drive. (laughs) (laughs) I got like 20 feet down the road and he could see. I would just wouldn't. I was going like two miles an hour. He's like, put it in park. He's like, get in the back. Who else wants to drive? (laughs) So that was. Do you think he knew you were fucked up? I don't know what the guy thought. I think he was just one of these impatient driver ed teachers that didn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if this one didn't work out, next one up, you know. Mm. But uh, so that was my. My acid and driving story. Well, um, I took a fair amount of acid, but I, I never took too much acid except once. Um, and it's interesting because Jesse Jarno's book, he talks about this particular acid that was going around in the mid 80s. And it was these. Sunshine uh, or something? It was, they, they, were, they were tabs, right? So it was bl- on blotter paper. But each tab was an album it was an album cover and the album cover was four giant tabs of acid like the size of a postage stamp oh wow together 
right? So that would be one giant. It's a sheet. She, no, it wasn't a sheet. It was just so it was it was four hits that uh. made an album cover, except they were much bigger than the usual blotter acid right. size, which is a tiny little yeah, thing. It's like a centimeter or something. What I didn't realize, I assume that just because the paper was bigger and the design was bigger, that it was still like the same amount of acid as it would be on a smaller hit. Right. I didn't realize it was actually four hits. <laughs> so, and I know a lot of you who have taken acid over the years, four, you're thinking like four hits is nothing, but this was um, uh, acid that was made by the, oh, what is it? The family, the family? they used to call yeah, it, yeah. right? So, oh, and, it, and the album cover was Mickey Hart's Rolling Thunder album <laughs> cover into four. So I took... Um, I didn't take all four of them, thank God, because that would have been 12 hits, 16 hits. I took just one, but it was four hits of this very good San Francisco blotter acid. And up to that point, it had been very hard to get good acid. I didn't have good connections at the time in the Mm. the mid-80s. but So I take this stuff, and then my friends and I decide we're going to go to New York City. So we get on the subway, we go downtown, and we go to Battery Park City, and the acid hits like a hammer as we walk into Battery Park City and all of us are looking at each other and we all made the same kind of miscalculation about the strength of the stuff. So we had to sit down and (laughs) we sat down on these benches and we were looking out into the harbor, Statue of Liberty and stuff. Mm. And we looked at the water and the water wasn't water anymore. It was just geometric fractal patterns. Oh yeah, I remember seeing the fractals. But it was like... It was really the only time that I took acid where I was so lost in the hallucination so kind cool. of thing. It was yeah. really cool. It's also horrifying. But to we think were sitting there for like like hours, and the Statue of Liberty's arm was waving around and stuff. And uh, I'm like, I hope this doesn't stay like, stay this, like this forever. forever. Yes. <laughs> but um, you know, as we're starting to come down, like there was this woman who was obviously a homeless woman, but she was hugging a tree and like kind of like looked like she was having sex with this tree in the park and it was freaking us all out. So we finally, we got up and we walked to the subway to the one nine and we took it like uptown and somehow we found our way to McSorley's Ale House on fourth Avenue. And we were still like off our face, but they, they seated us at a table and I don't know what they thought of the way we looked, but you, they'd serve anybody in there. So we sat down and we just started drinking and they, and they served these beers. Like, um, you have to buy them two at a time in a mug and you can, there's only two flavors of beer you can get there, dark or light. So we just got the darks and they kept bringing them and bringing them and bringing them. And it seemed like there were a thousand, like it looked like an AI photograph of like, oh, if weird. I said, show me an AI photograph of people sitting in an Irish bar with mugs on the table. And there was like thousands of mugs and we drank so much that we drank ourselves straight from the acid. <laughs> and, but we weren't drunk because it's like seemingly impossible to get drunk yeah. if you're tripping. And <clears throat> so that was just a very, a very strange night. Eventually we staggered out of that bar and probably four hours later, you know, and caught the train back home. But Is that it? was, uh, <sighs> that was one of my more memorable acid, uh, acid wow. tales. Yeah. It yeah. Was, it was great. I, want, I hope that woman's okay. Oh, I wonder if they had a baby her in the tree. <laughs> and all of these memories, I'm not going to go on all of my acid stories, but stuff's starting to come back. I'm like, wait, what about that other time? Um, but we'll have to save that for another episode. Yeah. This uh, is one other time. A week, just, just a one. quick one. Just like, one. Uh, we're playing darts in my friend's apartment off campus outside Fordham University. And uh, everyone's like, bop, 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 talking a mile a minute. And I, and I just said, Man, people talk too much when they're tripping, and I threw the fucking dart bullseye straight in the middle, and everyone was like, 
You picked a perfect wow, game. Now man. you get it. You picked wow. the no hitter. Yeah, and everybody was like, well, you just said people talk too much and then you then you hit the bullseye. Oh, it's so crazy, man. This guy opened up. Yeah. I think I was like what, seven, eighteen? That that would do you know? it. You know, you're Jesus. the chosen one. Yeah. Good enough to start a cult with. <sighs> right. I I acid was fun. Until it wasn't. Yes. Until it wasn't. Then I started Don't do acid. You know, I, I would take it and then I would start thinking about what a shitty person I was and That's <laughs> when you go down that fucking death spiral of self-incrimination yeah. and everything. And I was like, this is not fun. Yeah, like my consciousness went to a 10,000 foot view and I could see everything. And there I was, the smallest little thing right. in the entire universe. Disappointing my yeah. parents. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah that's, that was it for me. <laughs> All right, let's take a short break and, uh, and then we can come back with the recovery in the news. We'll be right back after these words. And we're back. And it's time for Recovery in the News. Recovery in the News. Yeah! All right. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Recovery in the news, motherfuckers. Motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. You fuckers. You Fuckers, as Joseph now says. Said. <laughs> yes, right. Oh, now it's in the house. I, he he messaged us a, a couple of times, just like on a yeah on social. Yeah, I would love to get that guy back on. Yeah, I wonder what he's up to. I mean, yeah. I, I follow him on Instagram and stuff, and he's it's like a lot of golf. Which he's is always great, wearing the you know? hoodie that he got he is, at my shop. He's wearing the hoodie. I love that. I love it. <laughs> I wish him the best. He's a great. Guy. Now it's in the house. Um, covering the news. Covering the news. So this week, um. Interesting article. Erin sent it to me, actually. Oh, cool. She's always on the lookout for recovery in the news items. Thank you, Erin. And uh, I guess she heard this interview on uh, NPR yesterday. I think it came out of WBUR. I don't even know where that's from, but uh, harm reduction is a big, you know, thing these days, you know, with these um, uh, supervised injection sites Mm -hmm. opening and, and, you know, lots of uh, ODs have been reversed by people with Narcan at these sites. Yeah, um, New York City. Uh, Alan was uh, the great wizened one. Alan B. posted about... Uh, yeah, how many lives have yeah. been saved at these things. Um, this this uh, article or interview or whatever you want to call it approaches it from a somewhat different angle. Uh, apparently, there's a woman out there who um, s- supervises illegal opioid use in her own home. Oh. So rather than being a state funded or mandated consumption site. It's a woman who... So it's a trap house or something? (laughs) Well, um, I suppose, except she doesn't make any money. She's not renting, but she does provide needles and all this stuff. Anyway. They call that a shooting gallery, don't they? So uh, the title of the article or interview is Why a Mom Turned to Supervising Illegal Opioid Use in Her Home. Because it's hilarious. Is that, what, is that what she said? You should see what happens here. It's hilarious. You're not going to believe what <laughs> happens next. On. Uh, it's a woman named Renee, and, and she started doing this because her daughter, um, you know, 
Her daughter started to use drugs in high school, and she came out very strongly against her daughter using drugs and would yell at her and mm-hmm. fight and ground and take phones and do all the things that you'd think a parent would, right. would do. Uh, but all that did was cause her daughter to move out of the house when she was 16. And do more heroin. And do heroin and fentanyl and stuff all over the place. And right. so, you know, she has medical training, and what she does now, and, and eventually she found her daughter on the street, and after a long sort of fraught process, they communicate with one another now. But she realized that there was this whole subculture of addicts out there who are living in tent cities, living in the street, and just dying because they don't have either a safe place to use the drugs or they were, um, they're getting diseases from needles and stuff mm-hmm. and that they're sharing. So what she started doing uh, was just going out buying hypodermic needles and going and passing them out along with alcohol wipes and all this other stuff going, yeah. going into the streets and doing this sort of thing. And, you know, and this is, this is classic harm reduction behavior. You know, you put yourself as a point of contact out there, a non-judgmental person that's providing, um, you know, an ear, you lend an ear, you listen yeah. to people, you give them the, you meet them where they are, meet them where they are. Exactly. Um, but this sort of translated into, you know, word got around that if you, wanted a safe place to use drugs to shoot up. You could go to this woman's house and she would sit there with you uh, with Narcan next to her and watch you do your thing. And uh, So it wasn't like a go here to get help. It's like, hey, there's a warm, safe place yeah. where you can get clean needles. Right, right. And, and she works with, um, you know, uh, non- nonprofits now, but she didn't in the beginning, um, you know, and... Uh, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I've, we've talked about harm reduction and I've been pretty honest about that. I'm not sure, you know, and the more I think about it, the more I change my mind about it, because on the one hand, I am all for harm reduction. And in that whole thing where it's like anything you can do to keep someone alive long enough to recover right, is great by me. It's fine by me. And I don't buy into this. Uh, this uh, philosophy that by by having these, you're somehow approving of drug use. And, and that's usually the counter argument. It's one of them. It's if you do these things, they're these official places that allow people to use drugs safely. It, it gives them like less reason to quit or something. Or it's like you're encouraging it where the way enabling, I see it. Enabling, I think, enabling. Is, the, is the word. That's, that's the million dollar word. Yeah. Um, to me, I think this is a good thing. I think it gives... Uh, addicts a place yes it's a place for them to use safely which may be a good thing but it's also them interfacing with clinicians medical personnel it's a well not in this lady's living room though you yeah, know I mean, what I mean? isn't she trying to like move them along well i mean she's got some rules so right? now she does it differently though maybe at the beginning it was a little wild west well i think it's still a little wild west i mean yeah. i think her activities out in the street are you know, more along the lines of, you know, so she's like see. a vigilante. Yeah, kind of. I mean, harm she, reducer. she's very cautious about the people she lets into her home and there are rules. You have <laughs> to call. Cautious, apparently. <laughs> you, have, you have to call or text before you come. Only one person uses at a time. No drugs left behind. And uh, by her own tally, she's reversed 30 overdoses in the past few years. She never had to call 911 and she's never lost anybody. Um, <laughs> but it's probably a violation of federal law um, passed, you know, which got passed in the in '86 
during a surge in crack use that says allowing illegal drug use in any designated spaces against the law. Now, you have cities and states testing the law that open these supervised consumption sites, but the feds have not yet moved to shut them down, but they, you know, if... They very well may, yeah. Next year, if depending on who, you know... You never know. ...gains the White House. There's a new sheriff. Yeah, you know. and, And she says, you know, opponents will tell her, you know, you're enabling them. You should be sending people with addiction to treatment, not enabling their use. And she said, yes, I enable. I absolutely do. I enable them to leave of their own volition and not on an ambulance, gurney, or in a body bag. So, well, I mean, that's different from just like, do we believe in harm reduction? This is, do we believe in somebody basically taking people's lives into her own hands with no formal training, oversight, or regulation? Yeah. Um, Well, that's another question. I mean, I mean, she really started this because she wanted to save her daughter's life right. because her daughter was out using. So she t- she stocked up on Narcan, taught herself how to use it. Um, and, you know, was passing out clean needles. And she knows that half the needles are getting sold and yeah. traded and all this stuff. But, uh, you know. Well, I think anything she can do to maybe uh, help someone like that. And it's probably mostly kids. Is that what she's saying? Is it mostly like she's getting, no, not kids. I mean, you know, she'd help anybody. These people sometimes don't have any other place to go. That's like safe. They don't have the resources or maybe they're, you know, maybe this is their one interface with society, you know, with a person who is connected outside of the streets. Hopefully she's using this position that she has with them, uh, you know, to help and not just to uh, give them free needles and, you know. So it's, yeah. it's a lot to, to put on a person who's basically a vigilante. Yeah. I mean, you know, that half her work is having people in the house and then the other half is, like, she goes and on the weekend and she she fills up a cooler with ice and beer and bottles of water and soda and then another cooler full of hot dogs and burgers and she goes and drives to these vacant lots and she sits there in a lawn chair and gives away the booze, I mean, the beer and the, <laughs> and the hot dogs, okay. you know, and, uh, you know, has a boom box and, uh, <laughs> you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. So like eventually people would come and, and empty the cooler and start talking. And, and she learned a lot about this whole other world of, of, of drug use. I mean, the people who were stopping for a burger and soda, uh, were not injecting opioids. They were using, uh, methamphetamine. And so she started, um, providing glass pipes and stuff uh, to this group of people. This um, is, uh, clearly she would go on Amazon <laughs> and search for the best deals on supplies for people who use stimulants. Um, this is sounding like a bit of a fetish on her part and less of, you <laughs> yeah. know, like a coordinated attempt to save people's she, lives. She didn't even know what the, what the, uh, term harm reduction meant oh. until after she'd been doing this for a couple of years. Wow. Like, uh, she's not even up on the buzzwords. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and then she also gives out uh, condoms, dental dams, tampons, diapers, okay. toothbrushes. Full you know. service. Yeah. So huh. she said, the stuff is just the carrot I dangle before the horse so I can make a connection. Um, I want my community to know what it is, feels like to be really loved so they never settle for anything less. Uh, local police are, have let her do this without um, it, interfering with her too much. Um, but she did have one woman who confronted her saying that she gave her son a needle that he used in what turned out to be a fatal overdose. And and her response was, uh, 
Survivor's guilt is real, Renee said, and it broke my heart because he was dead, but I would still give him the needle because it might have saved his life too. Uh, well, I mean, I don't so think this we is where we're shutting at. her down. No, I mean, but, but this is where we're at in America, right? Yeah. We, we have ladies who are stuffing their, spending their own money to stuff their car full of supplies, harm reduction supplies, and go out and pass out hot dogs and, and soda to people because, um, you know, the, the government has no plan no there's no there's no community plan to, to address this it's this just is, individuals yeah. and you know well this is taking away my positive feeling i have to say remember that bubbly positive energy i was <laughs> i was talking about at the beginning of the show it is now completely dissolved <laughs> in um you know pain yeah. and horror well her daughter is still alive they've and and off opioids apparently well, that's amazing at this point yes so if nothing else maybe this somehow contributed to the daughter and maybe now that the daughter will help others, if she hasn't already said that. Yeah. So this could be a very good thing. I'm bringing the positive back. It was interesting to read some of the comments um, where I saw this story pop up somewhere else yesterday. And it was pretty evenly mixed. I mean, half the people were like, you, you should not normalize the injection of fentanyl on the streets. Yeah. And then half the people were like, well, the people are going to do the drugs anyway. So you may as well... The goal should be to keep people alive and hopefully they get treatment, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm always going to err on the side of, you know, giving people a chance at life, even if it goes against some of our deeply ingrained Victorian values left over from the, <laughs> you know, the old days. But um, just say no, Nat. Just, just say, say no. no. Thank you, Mrs. Reagan. Yeah. For that killing so many people. Was recovery in the news? Uh, yes. Well, dare I say it, we've come to the end of the show. No week in weird today, huh? Jesus. I'm just happy to be able to get here and talk to you and say hello to the monsters and check in in the midst of... There's so much UFO shit going on. I cannot believe you're not on top of this. It's sort of like I've been talking about it for 20 years and all of a sudden everybody's talking about it. So I'm like, whatever. Well, did you see they invited Neil deGrasse Tyson to go look at those bodies in Mexico? Of did the he really? Did he, and he was like, you should call a biologist, not an <laughs> astrophysicist. What, what am I going to tell you? And, he, and I quote, L-O-L, yeah. send <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Neil deGrasse. But um, so we'll get down to it. I'm really looking forward to reading Sookie's book. Um, See Swallow Me. Oh, yeah. That, Sookie, I want to read that book. Maybe if we just make the date and it'll give us a target. Well, that's what we have to do. And we'll make a deadline. Yeah. So, Sookie, if you're listening. She's um, not listening. She's not I told listening. her before Christmas, but I don't think that's going to happen. So look forward to that. Um, I think we might have one more show this year. Yeah. It might be next week because the week after is, isn't the week after the week after Christmas? Uh, Christmas is on Monday. Um, Not this coming Monday. No, but uh, send in your holiday greetings for the yes, Monsterverse. Holiday please. greetings. Uh, send them to Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com or call the hotline at 516 516 888 8886172? 6297. Oh, 6297. Right. 516-888-6297. Leave us a message. It's, it's an automated. No one's going to pick up the phone and yell at you. Uh, and then we'll play it and send out some good vibes. We're looking for holiday spirit messages. 
Um, and well, listen, if you're also you know, in a shitty place, we'll take that too. Yeah, give us I some mean, shitty you know, message. You don't have to be, don't force yourself to be positive because everyone around you is. That's bullshit. Yeah, that is bullshit. So give us some. Like, fucking, I'm st- I've still maintained my negativity today, despite yeah. the fact that Nat's in a good mood, and I've tried to drag him down to my level. Yes. So thank you for that. No problem. Uh, but that about does it for today. I know I had a good time. Did you? Yes, it went fast today. Yep. It's a quick one. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Mm. Just go there anyway. Just no. Just see to watch the mess. It's like a car wreck. Um, Podbean, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at what you twit on X. Support your favorite show. Do it when you're on X. Do it. Drop a five-star review, and we will read it. So go to Apple Podcasts, guys, please. On the air, we will read it. We will read it. You will be a star for all five stars that you give us. Um, Send me more hate mail. It's entertaining. Mike R. at MiddleAgesRecovery.com. Tell us how much you hate us (laughs) and um, how 2000s we are. Um, And how white. And how white. We love meeting new monksters, so come on to the Facebook group. It's on Facebook, Recovery in the Middle Ages. And it's Ages. a group. You join it. We say hello. There's also patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. You get the Discord. You get the merch. You get I'm everything. I think I'm the interrupter. Yeah. You might, you might, you might be. Because I'm interrupting you incessantly. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting moo. cow. Who? Moo. See, I interrupted you with the moo. What? <laughs> And finally, the best way to help the show Why is to share it with a friend. For the end. <laughs> uh, share the show with a friend and help uh, spread the love. Grow the RMA movement. movement. And as we say, <laughs> non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. We Story of my fucking life. See you next time, cheese bags. Stay fresh, oh, cheese stay bags. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Yes. And be good. Be good. Bye. Bye. Fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs>